from the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. Hi, everybody, it's Douglas Hamdish here for another episode of the Mic Drop Club. And today, just as promised, we're following up on the conversation that we had a couple of weeks back with Andrew Rolf, talking about all things transformation. This time round, we're going to take a closer look at some of the intricacies when it comes to um, digital transformation and things that you need to look out for. So we're going to talk about maybe small teams, group dynamics, and just-in-time knowledge and a lot more. So Andrew is waiting in the wings, just coming. So no further ado, Andrew, how are you doing? You all right? I'm good. Thanks, Douglas. Yeah, it's been a busy week. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I know it's going to be a good one. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, the last time we spoke, um, I know you watched, um, was it 13? That's right. Yes, 13. on your recommendation. Oh, excellent, excellent. That, that, that's the film for, for listeners out there regarding um, the rescue, the British rescue attempt for 13 trapped um, footballers. Where were they in Korea? Thailand. Thailand, Thailand, yeah, yeah trapped, trapped underground and they had all the elements up against them in terms of the weather, the terrain, and how, to, how did they get, get them out? So it was an international effort, but certainly it was led, up, led by the British. So there was a lot of lessons to be learned by that. So you watched it, you recommend it? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing because it's a true story. It's amazing because they achieved what was described as a miracle, um, like you say, everything was against them. You know, um, these these children had been trapped in an underground cave. The rain was coming. The monsoon rain was coming. The cave was filling up with water. They were running out of oxygen. And how were they going to get these children out of a situation which they were totally unfamiliar with? Just finding the children alive was a miracle in itself. Getting them out all alive was a double miracle it's incredible and there are there are so many things to take from this so yeah it was a great recommendation and um it came off of the back of us talking about the relevance of life and death situations to transformation like what's the similarity between that's that situation these these kind of trapped children or kind of many kind of natural disasters what's the similarity between that and transformation but it's there you know it exists yeah, absolutely. And and it's alive and well. And um, when we talk about transformation, I guess there are so many factors that people tend to overlook in terms of what is actually happening from a group and individual dynamic situation. What is actually transpiring here? Are we truly getting rid of the old, 
to mm-hmm. embrace the new? And if so, using the approach of saying if we are actually killing off something that is no longer applicable to something new, is I always say a right way of, of viewing it, even though it might be a bit extreme. But nevertheless, I know so many departments will never go back to Betamax, they'll never go back to mini discs, they will never go yeah. back to um, three and a quarter floppy discs, they will never go back to laser discs, we'll never go back to Memorex cassette tapes. So yeah. those products are effectively dead. That's we true. Moved on. Yeah. And and I mean the you have to, right? Once you've discovered something new, once you've kind of um once the genie's out of the bottle, why would you ever go back? Uh that's that's the that's what transformation is, right? You know, you've you've created this new state, this new thing, this new technology. Going back is is senseless. It, it, but it takes time to it takes time to make that transition. Not everyone's an early adopter. Not everyone loves the new technology. And some people, you know, you think about those friends of yours that you had. You went around their houses, and you know, everyone's on Spotify. But these are the people who have still got kind of stacks and stacks of CDs lining their walls. They're like a kind of a a, a sort of. Um, almost like an award for all of the music they've listened to, but it's it's all out there in the cloud now. You don't need to have that cluttering up your life. Sure, sure. And, and there's something to be said about um, laggers yeah. and early adopters. You know, there's a famous graph in terms of like the adoption of new technology and where people tend to sit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what it is, I tend to be an early adopter. I love technology. I do I can love tell. It. But um <laughs> but at the same time, I like collecting things. Mm-hmm. I like that I like it when my endorphins fire up when I've found something new, something rare, and I've collected it. It goes back to um, you know, cards we used to collect for football. Yeah. It went on to Kinder Eggs. It's got onto technology, you know. You collect these things, thinking, "Wow!" And some, some, sometimes when we embrace new technology, we fail to appreciate some of the behavioral um, um, things that have to go with the new technology. That all we have to lose, and some people are not prepared to lose out on that. So, the nostalgia, the the reminiscing, looking back, and romanticizing. The past, and this is this is one of the things that tends to always um, hit my um, my wrist register when I'm doing a transformation program. Mm-hmm. Is when I know that with the inherent processes there, that no matter what technology that we deploy, the behavior is going to take a long, a longer time to 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 change, oh, irrespective yeah. of what the technology is doing. Think about those. Um all those people who have become experts in using whatever that system was, however inefficient it was, all of those little kind of commands and controls and workarounds that they had to figure out or or learn from other people, this new technology could be the end of all of that. So all of that knowledge that had made them an expert and put them at the kind of the top of the pile they were the go-to person who everyone needed to ask in order to be able to do whatever it was. They could be losing a lot of their power, their influence, and potentially becoming less important in the workplace as a result of whatever the new technology is. So you've, you've really got to, you know, I feel, 
um, that you've really got to respect what it is they've done and be sensitive to that change. You know, you can't just kind of drive it through and, you know, well, it's all about the new and we've got to break things to make things. All that sort of stuff is is fine, but it, it doesn't really take into account the fact that we're dealing with humans. These are systems, any system um, is not just an IT system, it's got humans in it as well. And therefore, you've got to be respectful of that. Um, so all of that knowledge there can help mm. you build a better system, but you've got to be, you know, a little bit delicate about how you approach these things. Absolutely. And and normal, this, this typically plays out, I would say, in the business case, when you're trying to articulate the benefits. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we did speak prior about... Business cases, t- traditionally, you, you can write a business case that will last you maybe two, three years, even five years, mm-hmm. you know. And we're writing business cases literally on the fly. We're tweaking them as we are going because yes. some of these these benefits are morphing and changing because there's so many inter- interdependencies based on other technologies and other systems. And so, um, so how, I wanna, how I wanna are we just, able to articulate I'll, that? Uncle yeah. Now? I, I think, so the thing you were talking about, this we talked about it last time this idea of um strategy in real time um being kind of already ready the the film um about the cave rescue that is like a constantly changing situation i think that situation is actually far more similar to business leaders than many of them would actually um willingly admit the uncertainty the level of unknown unknowns, the things that are outside of your control that are affecting the situation that you're in is actually, it, it seems like it's the stuff of Hollywood dramas in, in, the, in the rescue film. But actually, this is what business leaders and organization leaders are faced with all the time. And I think this ability to flex and to accommodate new ideas and to constantly be evaluating your position and evaluating the tactical situation around you is the stuff that makes a great modern leader and a great transformation program if you like you said you know 3 to 5 year business plans what happened 5 years ago we were in 2018, we're talking in 2023, is 2018. Who had predicted the COVID pandemic five years ago? And who had put that in their business plan or on their threats and, you know, uh, external threats? Who had been talking about that at a strategy away day? Nobody, of course. You know, everyone was sort of just, you know, they built a plan. And suddenly we had to recreate that plan. Literally within the space of days and weeks, we were going from a world where we all commuted into an office to suddenly a world where nobody could be within, you know, a meter and a half of each other, you know, huge changes. No, absolutely. And now we've gone full circle. Yeah. With that in terms of uh, the other day, Amazon are appealing to its workforce to come back to work. Yeah. Zoom, <laughs> irony, <laughs> yes. you know, um, are trying to get their employees back to work. Yes. Back into the office, sorry, not back to work, back into the office. So again, once behavior has been has changed and then asking your staff to then change back. Yeah. You know, for example, changing and uh, working from home is one where it's, it doesn't just affect the employee. Yeah. Their family's involved. You know, and so when we talk about change or transformation in that context, 
mm-hmm. it's far more nuanced and it's far more delicate than just, oh, we turn back to the office now because we're paying high rates for the building. Yeah, we want to true. support the, the local economy as well. There's yeah. something about sharing information, blah, 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 blah. Yet that employee goes back home to a partner, maybe children who have you got used and adapted and to this new way of living. That's true. You know? I I agree. And I always remember the expression I, I heard this uh, must have been 10 years ago. Somebody said, nobody ever went to the office to have a good idea. You think about all the places where you've had good ideas, in the shower, going for a walk, you know, on the beach, having a coffee. You know, they, they don't, good ideas don't wait for 9 a.m. or um, they end at 5 p.m. They happen anytime. But the office is a place of learning. It's a place of collaboration. Um, it's a place where you can engage with people in uh, in the way that humans have evolved to engage with each other. You know, we found COVID and working remotely, the tough bits of that were, you know, the fact that we couldn't get all of those um uh, non-verbal signals from each other, the fact that we couldn't just kind of be around each other and sort of, you know, uh, communicate in, in the ways that we do, which is so much more than just a spoken word. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I see the benefits of both sides. I think that it's really tough right now if you're new to the workplace, you started out and you're looking to learn from the, you know, senior people in the business and share ideas and be that sponge for new thinking. If you're new to the workplace and you've got to do all that remotely, it's really hard. But likewise, the this is a change that was available to us a decade before COVID. I remember using Skype in 20... Yeah, oh, 2003, I think I was using Skype and thinking, this is incredible. It's going to change the workplace. And nothing changed, really. You know, we could we could speak to other people around the world for free using voice over IP. But we didn't really kind of it didn't really transform the way that we work until COVID. And that's that's very common of new technologies. You know, often you use a technology at its inception to just do a better version of what you did before. So when, you know, when we when we had electricity available to the to the home, the things we did to begin with were we switched out gas lamps for electric lamps. We got rid of our old um irons that we filled with pieces of hot coal and we switched those for electric irons. So they were just the same tool but powered in a different way. And then it took a while before we did really revolutionary things with electricity like you know, radio communications or x-rays or things like that, truly revolutionary, game-changing things. And I think it was the same with the technology that enabled us to work remotely during COVID. It was all there. People had it, but hardly anyone used it. And then we had to use it, and then we got used to using it. So I'm, 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 I'm sort of torn. It's a really tough one because this is something that's playing out live in the workplace right now. And I can, I have a lot of sympathy for both sides of the argument. Yeah, yeah. And and there, there are factors in there that also need to be uh, reconciled or at least acknowledged, such, such yeah. as the geopolitical environment all this is taking place in. There's mm-hmm. also the the, um, the financial situation in the developing world as well. And also access to resources. You know, yeah. um, typically now you can literally, we're in location, 
is no longer an, an issue. Your pool of talent now isn't based upon who can get to work within, say, an hour to hour 45 yeah. minute um, time frame. You, as, long as, it's, as long as they can wake up in the time zone they're in, you've got access to a pool of staff. So all of these things are playing out in real time and people are re- redefining what is quality, what, what, is a, what is a successful metric for a successful business. Yes. And you yeah. see how Twitter has literally decimated, or X has literally decimated its workforce. Yeah. And it's been run possibly by 50 people and they have thousands of staff. So they're saying, look, we can still be operational, we can still function, you know, and not much will change with less staff. And that is embracing technology such as AI, which is coming in and amplifying the, the human amplifying capabilities for organizations, businesses, departments, um, care, governments, even warfare. Everything is just at, at a perfect point where yeah. transformation, as you rightfully said, is in real time. The business case has to be done on the fly. So I guess my question to you, Andrew, is now we set the scene, what then will be the true north? Like in the, like in the the film thirteen, yeah. the true north was to rescue these these innocent these kids that were trapped in the cave. Yeah, what would be the true north for any um, typical um, transformation project? So the the for me um, transformation really is looking at some aspect of the way that your organisation operates and fundamentally changing something around the value that it provides to its customers, the way that it provides that value. So the, um, the, you asked about the sort of the, the true north. Often um, lots of programs of work are improving the situation that the business finds itself in. They're, they're kind of incremental, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's good too. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for continuously looking at how you can make your business better. But truly transformational things are where you're looking at almost a sort of a reinvention. Um, if you look at the, the, the way, so let's go back to the film for a second, because the, for me, the, the real um, turning point, the pivot in that film was when the, um, the Thai authorities were willing to allow a team of um, uh, British cave divers to really drive the rescue. And and there were many reasons why this would be a very difficult decision to take. So, you know, there's a lot of national pride at stake. There are people who feel they were experts. In fact, there was a Thai um, Navy SEALs team who were heavily involved in trying to sort of rescue these these children to begin with, and it hadn't succeeded. And the 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 change in direction, the transformational element of the film was them realizing that there was somebody with a new way of doing things. These British cave divers who were experienced in um, operating in very tight situations, they were op- experienced in the poor visibility, um, the disorientating nature of being in caves. I've heard cave diving described as one of the world's most dangerous pastimes. It's not something that you do without a lot of expertise. And these were people who were 
the most expert in their field. Now, there's one other bit that's really unique about this, and it kind of gives me goosebumps when I'm thinking about it, because sometimes in a transformation, you end end up in a situation where you don't just bring one field of expertise to bear, but you bring a second field of expertise to bear, and that's where the magic happens. So in the film, the first area of expertise were the cave divers, the British cave divers who knew all about this. The real the 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 cave divers themselves were able to find the children and thank God they found them alive, but that didn't solve the problem. They've now got to get them out of the cave. How are you going to get these children who have never experienced cave diving before through two miles or so of underground chambers that are flooded? And that's where the, um, the anaesthetist who was also a cave diver, came into play. So suddenly you've got two areas of expertise, cave diving plus one cave diver who happens to also be an anaesthetist. And then they were able to um, give the children an anaesthetic, which would allow them to be um, uh, transported through the cave network by the by the experts. And those two things coming together, I think, when you when you're looking for transformational things sometimes it's the, it's a combination of expertise that comes together and when i'm working with um with the clients and organizations i work with i'm i i guess i'm like the cave diver i bring transformational expertise but usually there's people in their organization who bring some unique perspective to it and what i'm trying to do is join up with them to make a force that's more powerful than just me or just them with more than the sum of the parts so i mean we talked about how that how that film is such a a kind of a you know a um is so important as a reference for transformation and those are those are some of the reasons why i think it is so yeah good question though yeah no fantastic and also spoiler alert <laughs> i have to put that <laughs> for anyone that hasn't seen it well um, i think the 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 fact is i mean it was all happening in it was happening in real time wasn't it if you absolutely. if you think back to it it was this was the sort of lead news article around the world yeah. and you know, it, it's one of those rare occasions where something that really had very, very little hope of um, anyone being anyone surviving it, all of them were rescued. And there was sadly one death. And that was actually one of the Thai Navy SEALs who, yeah. who died. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was it was an incredible story. Yeah. And I'm going to I want to keep keep us on that that point for a little bit, because I think, as you rightfully said, there's a lot of learning mm-hmm. from that. And in terms of other factors that need to be um that could come in yeah. to to play a role in the whole transformation that we we might not think of. Yes. And what that, that was the belief system. Yeah. What happens when you're trying to deliver transformation that goes against somebody's belief system? Yes. If you know those belief systems, they're hard to evidence. Yeah. You know, but they're deeply entrenched because there was a belief system there in terms of the gods have cursed. Yes, they've done true. something at the wrong time of the season. You know, so people are going up against what they were taught and what they truly believe in. This is talking about the Thai population at the, in that environment. Mm-hmm. You know, so this this cannot be stated enough and needs to be explored a lot further because even. Somebody using, say, an iPhone over an Android phone. There's still the way 
these products now are being presented and pitched, there's an inherent belief system in there. Yeah. For example, if you think different, you subscribe to thinking different and yeah. free thoughts and all that kind of stuff, you go the iPhone way. That's still a belief system. Mm-hmm. So changing back from that, changing from that to another state is very, very difficult. Um, the second point I want to just, just run by you is, and this is this goes to your approach as a, as a new go in, and you, you you understand that you're expert in one field. This is why when they say diversity, some people only go to diversity just thinking about different races and stuff, but essentially mm-hmm. about different experiences, different yeah. lived experiences gives yeah. yield to um, this diverse diversity of thoughts and experiences that you can then look out for what what we term the black swan, mm-hmm. you know, the rarest thing is always out there. And sometimes it's just in front of you. If you just ask the right questions, you invite yeah. the right people to these transformational workshops. You go out actively looking out for people that not normally will have a voice. Yes. Because in our scenario, the doctor didn't want to even, he, he thought about it, but he needed to have the confidence to even reveal there's a solution out there he was exactly i mean he was he was extremely resistant to the idea of anesthetizing the the children because it went against the hippocratic oath that he had taken you know this was like core to what he believed and what he had been taught and his belief system as a doctor so you know it yeah if he hadn't done it the you know it's highly likely that they would not have succeeded in in the mission and belief systems i mean this is a this is another very kind of rich area what we're really getting into here is the the core cultural beliefs of an organization can be incredibly strongly embedded even in an organization that is relatively young so if you think about an organization that may be say less than 10 years old those belief systems form very early and very strong and very deep how we do things around here what's acceptable what's acceptable what is what behaviors do we endorse and what what behaviors do we um we reject these things are are you know are, are really deeply deeply ingrained within a business so when you come to transform a business it, you can you can look at all of the kind of rational elements you know all of the problem solving aspects of, of 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 business transformation and think that you've think that you've knocked the problem out of the park you know you've scored a home run with this and we're going to it's just going to it's just going to fly and it doesn't and and the reason it doesn't is because you've you again you've you've kind of missed that human dynamic that human factor and it's around it's around the belief system so i i think you you kind of ignore belief systems at your peril and the the point that you were making about um apple versus android i mean this is this is back to a previous conversation we had where we were talking about the um people who had been who'd done crossfit training and were evangelical but evangelical about it people who own iPhones don't just own an iPhone there's something that makes them choose to pay over the market rate to buy a product that's as good arguably as something that's half the price so what is it what is it about that that 
badge on the back that makes them want to do it. And there's a whole load of motivational reasons, feeling part of a tribe, this Apple product, iPhone product um, owning tribe is my tribe. That's what I want to be. It's, it's all that sort of, you know, 30 odd years worth of marketing and branding and product positioning that makes people think, yeah, you know, Apple's the the product for me. It's got that sort of irreverent, it's kind of breaking the traditions. If you think back to the original Ridley Scott ad for the um for the Apple uh way back in the 80s, it was all about smashing through the glass and you know, sort of this kind of almost revolutionary zeal about the product. And people who own the product, uh, you know, you think about a you know, 15-year-old owning an iPhone now. They probably are unaware of all of that, but that's all part of the backstory that's built up to positioning that product. And that's why there's a tribe that wants to own it. And that's why they, you know, they, they can't imagine a time without it. Or if you were to present those iPhone users with an Android, that would seem scandalous. That would seem so wrong. You know, how can I, how, how, that's not me. You know, there would be an immediate organ rejection. You know, that, they're just not going to work. I like that immediate organ rejection, but you're you're so right. So breaking um, belief systems. There are so many things going for them and against them. I think there there was luck. They, they found the black swan. So mm-hmm. let, let's let's keep dealing with the black swan, the rarest thing that yeah. that that eureka, that magic moment of clarity that you know if I get this person on board everything, the dominoes is just going to fall in the right yeah. direction. You've found that person. You're, you're the expert based upon, obviously, mm-hmm. um, um, transformation, but there's a missing component to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I was told this, it's a question to you. Who's the second most powerful person on the planet? Oh, my word. That is a, that is a, the second yeah, the second most. Okay, who's the first? Who's the most most powerful human being on the on the planet? Probably the, plan- the U.S. president. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you. If that was family fortunes, you walk away with the caravan, right? <laughs> <laughs> just what I always wanted. <laughs> just, just what you always and the Granada yeah. to, to to pull it. Um, oh. right. So, the second most important person, powerful person, is his doctor. Oh, his doctor. I was going to say, I was going to say the, the spouse, but uh, his yeah. doctor. Okay. the doctor will be able to tell him to pull down his trousers. <laughs> and he'll pull okay. down his trousers. Yeah. You, you know, um, yeah. so there's something about hierarchy that plays mm-hmm. out here. Yeah. And in our scenario of the film 13, we had anesthetists. He was yes. a professional in his own domain. Yeah. Of which in that domain, there's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And in society, we trust physicians. Yes. So what happens now when we're looking for the black swan in transformation? And if we say power no longer resides in hierarchical structures, some structures are very flat. Yeah. How then do you find and encourage people to have these conversations, right, that don't have that seniority about them? Yes. So that is, and that's back to our conversation last time where we were talking about active listening and being able to engage marginalized groups. So um, anybody within the good or good ideas don't float to the top of an organization and people who can um, help effect change are 
spread throughout an organization. They aren't concentrated towards the top. Although the people at the top of an organization need to be um, wholeheartedly backing transformation, the things that actually make transformation work are people throughout it. So finding finding the black swan is is it the the challenge there is it could be a number of things that come together that make a black swan so you a black swan sort of makes it feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack it's really hard to find what you what you might be trying to do is join together bits of a black swan from all of the things that you've heard from different pockets of the organization. Um, it's almost like you're assembling a black swan. You know, I found a wing here and a beak there and a neck there. And, and all together, these things make a black swan. So let me just sort of unpack that a little yeah. bit. Please do. One of the things as a, as a consultant that you have the license to do is move through an organization. Very quickly, you get a picture of how things work in an organization because that's what you've been invited to do. And as you're moving through that organization, talking to people at different levels, employing active listening, talking to marginalized groups, you're finding where those, where those kind of pockets of expertise are. So in the film, it sounds really it makes it very simple for the for the viewer and and it was real life as well so it's not made up it the the film the black swan was the anesthetist in an organization like i say it could be dispersed across it so i'm i rarely expect to find one individual in an organization that can radically transform it in the way that that anesthetist did i'm usually looking for a a group a collection of people across it who who together can help me to create the story around what that change is going to be, provide their domain knowledge and expertise, mm -hmm. and that's where the that's where the magic happens. And there's one thing I'd add to this. You talked about you made a really good point earlier about. Um, diversity of thinking which i think is going to be the conversation of the future at the moment we're 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 doing all the right things which are making sure that we have diversity of gender diversity of race diversity of all the things that we currently talk about in terms of diversity which is exactly what we need to do but that's really for me just the, the first rung on the ladder i you know in in the workplace of the future, that won't be the conversation. The conversation will be around diversity of thinking. And the people who represent those elements of the black swan that we were just talking about are often the kind of people who say, when you say to them, I'd like you to think outside of the box, their natural state is thinking outside of the box. They never, they never got this idea of the box. They were always the kind of creative types, the ones who would mix Meccano with Lego or the ones who would try mixing, I don't know, like different flavors when they were cooking that you would never have tried. They're the, they're the, out, the, the box to them is something totally alien. So they often are the kind of people who are particularly valuable in, in transformations. I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where you meet this person and suddenly you kind of have a little bit of a side conversation, which where you realize that actually you're both out of the box thinkers and together, you know, you might be able to do something special. I love the way you put that. It reminds me of that ancient Sanskrit saying about um, 
describing different parts of an elephant. You know, <laughs> the, these blind, um, blind people where they, it's like India, they were trying to describe God. Uh-huh. And they, they, they were trying to describe an elephant. They were blind. Yeah. They were trying to describe an elephant, but they all touched different parts of elephant. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, it's got strong legs. Mm-hmm. The other one said it's got a rubbery type thing. It feels like a tail. But they were just describing this thought as a collective. They were describing an elephant, you know. So being able to take a look at all the the parts yeah. and make it into this one as as what you you you've done in that situation, I think is is really <laughs> it's really really fascinating. It's it's been able to know that this one is not just an individual. It could be a system. Yes, you know it. It could be. It could be system outside of the system itself. It could be an environmental factor that oh, could be totally. playing. But but it's being able to to think like that and to to see it play out and wait for it to come. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I think the the you know there. I don't think there are magic bullets in transformation. It, if if they're if they're out there, I've never seen them. And it doesn't mean to say they aren't out there, but the the likelihood of, you know, if magic bullets and needles in a haystack, they're sort of the wrong way to think about it. Any organization can transform itself. It is possible. You know, they have to have the they have to have the belief and the courage to to attempt the transformation is the first piece. They have to deal with the um with the uh, belief systems, as we talked about earlier, and within the components of their organization, by looking at all of those components and looking for, um, I believe, that outside assistance, that's what I often bring, is a fresh pair of eyes, a new way of thinking, some new frameworks, all of this kind of stuff. That um, combination is what can achieve transformation. Um, and that's sometimes why I think a lot of organizations are are fearful of it. They think it's going to be like finding a needle in the haystack, and it, it really isn't. And the 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 organisations, the people within them who have done transformations before, have a real responsibility to demystify transformation, to not sort of make it feel like it's some kind of magic that happens. It, it's it can be achieved by all organizations. I'm getting a bit kind of evangelical about this. Yeah. I'm on my soapbox, but I think that, you know, organization and, they, and organizations have to transform, right? You look at the, look at the FTSE 100. There's some statistic at the, that I saw recently that says that half of those companies won't be around in 25 years time. You go find it, find an old newspaper from the 1970s or 80s and look in the financial section and look at the companies that they're talking about. The ones that are in the headlines, most of them are gone. They disappeared. Mm-hmm. They've been they've gone bust, they've been acquired, they've been merged, they've been, you know, assimilated into someone. They're gone. There's very very few of them left. You know, BMW, you know IBM, doing? not many. No, not many. Not many. And do you know what I'm doing? I'm going back for nostalgia, you know, romanticizing my past. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to trying to rebuild my old Santa Cruz skateboard. <laughs> yeah. My rally, my rally burner. Yeah. Mix bike. You know, and when I see <laughs> those examples, thinking, wow, I'm really, really excited. My big foot um mm-hmm. radio control car work um, program the top of it. Those things, because 
there's something about letting go of the past. But when you're in a position now to bring the past back to life, yeah, we do do that. We do do that. So um, I want want to touch a very very important aspect of the film, and I know this is something that you 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 push, mm-hmm. and that is the power of small teams. If we go back to the film Thirteen. The British divers, how many British divers were there? Was it three just two? Four? Initially, it was just two. two. And, it was, and, it, and then it was about three? Uh, yeah, more of them joined. And there was more a team, joined. probably no more than six or seven, I think, eventually. Yeah, no more than six or seven. But they were up against, not up against, their Thai counterparts. Yes. Yeah, there were dozens. Oh. You see? Um, so so what, was, what was that play there? Describe what's that. We've got a small, small team. Yeah. Coming in to resolve a problem and they have to get up to speed with the, the, the environment, the terrain, yes. the situation on the ground. Yeah. I and think got- it's really, this is, this is another reason why the film's so pertinent. So when you, when the um, divers arrive, the, the camera shows a kind of aerial shot of this, this, um, temporary town that has been created at the mouth of the cave. There's the families of the trapped children waiting. There's the governor. There's media from all over the world. There's all the authorities there. It's a it's a, a town that has been created out of nothing that they have they have landed into, and they are. In some ways, the fact that they are a small team is their is their sort of the, their superpower because they're able to kind of move through quickly. They don't have to kind of get held back. They're not sort of particularly visible. Um, the demeanor of the two divers is, I think, quite critical. These aren't sort of um, big extrovert personality people they're quite sort of modest about their um in in the way that they carry themselves they're not modest about their expertise they know exactly what it what is in, involved in diving in caves and they're quite um they're quite forceful when it comes to explaining that so how they were able to um start working through this was to begin with they they demonstrated very quickly that they were capable of moving through the um the 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 terrain this this these flooded underwater caves with low visibility they demonstrated that and that is the the ability of a small team to quickly demonstrate their skills is is also relevant in transformation it with a large team you you can find that actually the 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 size of the team slows you down. What you think is going to be a flywheel effect of having loads of people and loads of, you know, energy and um, forward motion, actually it isn't like that. It's like trying to, it's just like trying to wade through treacle. So the, 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 the small teams also have, a, have another dynamic, and it's this. I believe that small teams are... Um, outperform large teams because large teams unfortunately can be a breeding ground for inefficiency and bureaucracy so if you think about let's just look at a reason for why that is and communication in in teams is vital so the two british divers 
two people, there's one line of communication going between them. There's nobody else to involve. One Person A can talk to person B, B to A. That's one straight line of communication. Very, very effective, right? As soon as you've got um, five people in a team, suddenly you've got 10 lines of communication. So, so you know, we, we've just added a few more people to the mix and suddenly the number of communication lines has gone up significantly. Put 10 people in and you've got like 45 lines of communication. So you can see these communication lines all building up and building up. This creates huge amounts of inefficiency. And in the situation in Thailand, time was of the essence. And we, we need to return to this point about time being of the essence because the the clock was literally ticking on these these people. The monsoon rains were coming down. The rains were falling through the earth, and that was kind of rising the water levels, which meant you know if, if we didn't do anything, the whole cave was going to be flooded, and the small ledge that they were all um, sheltering on was going to be it wasn't going to exist anymore. So. Small teams work because they can communicate more effectively. Small teams of experts work because they can communicate more effectively. There's nowhere to hide. So you you can't sort of you you can't point to somebody else in a small team. If you said you're going to take responsibility for doing something, you've got to do it. Because there's there's no one else's shouldering the load. And you radically improve your your decision making because you're able to operate quickly and um kind of crisis situations like the flooded cave like a forest fire like a accident in an emergency room require really quick decision making and with the with the um situation in 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 the caves they didn't really know what the answer was going to be because there were so many things they had to do before they could get to how we're we going to rescue them. First, they've got to find them. Then they've got to find out, are they all alive? Then they've got to work out what state they're in. And, you know, at the time they found them, they were quite malnourished and, you know, not in a great mental place. Then they've got to work out how they're going to get them out. So all of these problems are kind of unknowns until you've dealt with the, with the first thing and the and the smaller your team the quicker you can kind of you can flip into the next mode of problem solving and designing a solution for it so i'm i'm a huge believer in this i'm actually involved in a project right now where um already the the amount of ground that we've been able to cover um we're not rescuing anybody it isn't a life or death situation but it is an important problem this organization needs to solve the amount of ground that we've been able to cover by with two people in a week is remarkable we've 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 done our, our client is delighted and we're really pleased as well because we haven't had to kind of go through a committee to get everything signed off or to get everything agreed it's been so effective and actually that's quite refreshing you know sometimes after you know a week on a project or a month on a project you can feel quite fatigued and the reason for that fatigue is decision fatigue. So if you can get better at making decisions, and I'm sure we're going to talk about decision making in the future, if you can get better at making decisions, you're less likely to have that decision fatigue. You're more likely to be able to quickly move through the problem, and you're more likely to be able to avoid that bureaucracy scenario, which is, which is really the kind of death knell for any transformation project. No, I, I totally agree. I, I totally second what what you're saying there. 
It's very profound. Um, and now I'm conscious of time. I'll ask you a, a quick question. As, a, as, as consultant to consultant, we, we have to pitch to, mm-hmm. to our potential clients. Um, what do you tend to say when a client says or has the view that consultants just come in to tell us what we know already? Yeah, there's a, you know, the famous, you know, they use the consultant or steal your watch to tell you the time. I've heard that many times. And in some situations, a consultant coming in to tell the organization what they know already is actually a useful thing. So quite often, an organization doesn't actually know what it knows already. It thinks it knows, but it doesn't have that holistic picture, the big picture, the sort of strategic view of, of where we're at. The um, If all a consultant is doing, though, is just replaying what they've heard around the organization, that's there's no value add to that. That's That's, yeah, okay, it might be useful, but it's probably not really going to be a game changer. The the skill that a consultant has is that they're not part of the organization. That is is so often overlooked. But the fact that you're not on the payroll, the fact that you're not in some reporting line to the CEO or to somebody else is a really powerful thing. And it allows you to say things that other people might be very nervous about saying. So you can you can have conversations and you can reveal information that many people might be thinking but for various reasons, they might think it's career limiting. They might think that they're going to be kind of cautioned by their boss or something, you know, something bad's going to happen. For many reasons, they don't say it. So the there probably are some consultants out there who would steal your watch to tell the time. Um, I think they do the, the, the practice a, a bad service. And I think the it's kind of it's understandable because I think consultants sometimes don't do themselves any favors you know we speak sometimes in a language that can be difficult to understand we have our own kind of ways of doing things our own ways of expressing things and sometimes that can seem a little bit um like we think that we're somehow better than the client that's a really I, I really hate that but that sometimes comes across so I'm I, I'm I've heard it many times I'm used to hearing it and I think what I, how I respond is that I'm bringing a fresh pair of eyes and that fresh pair of eyes doesn't exist within your business anywhere. Even, even if you were to get somebody who you had hired a day ago to come and do this project, the fact that they're on the payroll, the fact that they're in your structure and they're reporting through it is going to immediately um, limit just how free they think they can be with the with the recommendations they make or the or the findings they present back. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. That that certainly mirrors my experience. And I would just like to add that when I work in, with new CEOs to organisations, typically that's when they get me in. And that validation to bounce mm-hmm. ideas and to listen enables a, a new CEO or a new digital leader to know what they're doing is correct because that bedding in process takes time. It's not, it that, you, not that you mistrust your organization. It's just their behaviors there. There's a culture in there that you still need to get up to speed. Cause not sometimes um, information, as you know, people create citadels. Um, yeah. So information sometimes doesn't flow freely, particularly when you've got the payroll structures and the reporting metrics as well in there. 
So yeah, I think the validation is so, so important. Two eyes are better than one. Um, regurgitating stuff they already know. This is not what it's about. No, for no, me, no. Uh, um, I'm more constantly looking for that um that moment, black swan, if you want to call it that. Yeah. But um I'm constantly looking for these these moments, these moments that you can leverage. That's what you're looking for, leverage, constantly looking for leverage. And just like the 13, um, the 13 film, we, we problem solve one thing at a time and you move on to the next one, but yes. we complete each stage. Yes. And that's what that's what that's my biggest take on from, from the film is you complete to your best of your ability each stage that you move on. And all too often in digital transformation, we'll move on knowing there's a lot of um yeah. things that were, were not signed off, not fully done. Yeah. Only for those things that were not fully done to come and bite us in the backside <laughs> later. They on do. Time, right? They really do. And I get it because sometimes there's a sort of an impatience. You know, there's if you're if you're doing a transformation and you've realized that actually time's not on your side, you know, this this business has to do it. Sometimes you'll try and move through those stages just really, really quickly because you you just don't have the 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 competition's not waiting for you to sort yourself out. There's no pause button in business. You've got to, you, you've just got to keep going, but you, you go and you build, you, you've got a little risk and you build in more risk and you build in more and more. And eventually, you know, you've lost that sort of true North that you talked about, you know, you're miles off and, you know, all of that effort, frankly, it didn't make a difference. And just, just look at the businesses that are now no longer in business as, as evidence of that. Many of those were run by highly capable people. They had transformation programs where they were trying to do the right thing and they just failed. They just couldn't make that leap to be the next version of themselves. No, absolutely. Andrew, it's been amazing. <laughs> it's been amazing. Normally the sophomore um, film <laughs> it's never as good, um, other than say Empire Strikes Back, because that's my favorite Star Wars. The Even tricky second really album, the second yeah. One, but in terms of release, um, so this has been very meaty. Yeah, it's been very substantive, and um, I certainly look forward to our next one, which is going to be, as you rightly said, we're going to talk about things such as decision making fatigue, yeah. just in time knowledge, all yeah. of these things, because all of these factors played up in that one film. <laughs> It's incredible. And, and that's why, you know, you, you know, you, you wouldn't have thought that this was a film that would mean something to business leaders, but actually I think it's a great film. Everyone should watch it anyway, because it's an incredible story and a true story, which, you know, is almost, it's almost unbelievable. It's a double miracle what happened. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it's an incredible thing and, and, you know, it, it's, it's a must watch. Fantastic. So until the next one, Andrew, take care. Look after yourself. Thank you, Douglas. It's been a pleasure, as always. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life. Make life boom. Boom.